We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an Android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome to the Austin Reeves Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranges McBasketball. And holy Austin Reeves, Tim. Lakers got a great win against the Suns last night. We're recording this here live on playback, so quick plug at the top. We're watching some college basketball as we pod. We got chat going, so be sure to join us on playback.tv slash Lakers Watch Party. You log in with your, you know, information, whatever you usually watch uh, basketball games or, or, you know, TV with, and you're able to be synced up with us, Tam. Just wanted to plug that really quick because we're doing this here live on playback today. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't going to, when we scheduled this, I did not realize that Michigan State was playing at the same time. And I was like, crap, I don't want to cancel. Hey, I don't have to cancel. I can just throw the game on in the background when they're back from halftime so i was watching them before halftime and uh they're they're gonna have to pull it out there here in the second half but by the time you hear this you'll know how that goes so tim we're gonna keep it to lakers basketball and like i said austin reeves uh has arrived on a level i don't know if any of us expected at least not this early in his career and at a time when the lakers desperately need so he was inserted into the starting lineup against the suns and just continues to you know free throw line and and mer- merchant his way to you know positive play for the lakers man he's been incredible so under control so decisive and being a lot more aggressive i think looking for his own shot tim absolutely yeah he's been effective on ball off ball we've seen over time the like primary ball handler responsibility shift more away from Dennis Schroeder and more over to Austin Reeves. And there will be times where he's out there with D'Lo in that vanilla ice backcourt, as it's been uh, named, and he'll be the one (laughs) with the ball in his hands. And he's been really effective. Something that's always stood out about him is just how he's, he's just constantly making the right decisions. Just whether he's the one creating an advantage, extending an advantage, finishing an advantage, I trust him. And we've seen the team trust him to be a closing player 
And now we're seeing the teams finally move him into a starting role, give him more opportunity. And along with that, he played 38 minutes yesterday. Yeah. 38 minutes. And starting isn't always like the end all be all. Like you can start and play 20 minutes. You can start and play 25 minutes. If if he were coming off the bench and if my options for Reeves were come off the bench and give me 35 or start and give me 28, I'd rather have him come off the bench. Like I just want more Reeves. And we're finally seeing him like play a lot more, 32, 30, and 38 minutes in his last three games. The only stretch this season where he's played 30 or more minutes in a row. And in those three games, he's given us 16 and then 35 and 25 points. And I mean, the the game prior to that, he had 24. He's getting to the line well. He's getting to the rim a bunch. He hasn't been all that much of like an off-ball shooter. He's only two for six from three over the past three games. But he's, wait, let me count these numbers. Uh, 28, 34 free throws uh, Hmm. made. Out of, let's see, 20, 31, 40, uh, 34 out of 40 from the free throw line in three games. Just bananas numbers. He had 13, 11 for 13 the, the game prior against Houston. So he's created, he's getting opportunity and he's shooting really well. It's not like he's only scoring at the free throw line. Um, also keep in mind the one game, he was just the recipient of every late game fouling to extend situation. So those were juiced a little bit, but he has got such a craft with that, and he's always been a good foul drawer, but it's it's he's really upped it, I think, from a skill standpoint, up a notch. He had a higher rate of fouls drawn per four, uh, 75 possessions last year. His rate of drawing fouls on drives was a little bit higher last year, but the opportunity has not you know, led to the effectiveness dropping at all. It's just maintained, and it's, to me, a really good sign that not just is he ready to do this, but this guy's even more scalable. And I think that's a great thing to have for him on this team when healthy, on this team when not healthy. And then moving forward, that's the kind of piece, to, piece I'd want the team to invest in. It's not only, you know, scoring the ball, Tim. He's he's facilitating. He had 11 assists against the Suns. Um, he had six assists in the Magic game. You know, he's got the ball in his hands and it, well, you know, the pick and roll with him and AD is just so deadly. He's he's so well-equipped to put a guy in jail, shorten the dribble, make the timing of the pass work, or, you know, he's going to get into the lane, you know, unbalanced, so he's not, like, out of control. He's drawing these fouls because he's getting fouled, right? He's getting – making guys make all these micro-decisions. You stop, look at the rim, then you pump fake, then you pivot, then you spin away from the pivot, and then you, like, bring your leg under your shoulders just so you can pretend to rise up, and you just – you're not hunting fouls, even though he is hunting fouls. There's like, a, I don't know. It's a he's not leaning into you so aggressively in an uh, exaggerated way. He's just going straight up, and he's getting these calls um, time and again. Now, I know Monty Williams is probably going to complain that a lot of that stuff is, uh, you know, you know, anti Suns propaganda. I don't know if you saw him going off after the game. That's just one example of. Uh, how Austin's been drawing fouls lately, but it's obviously like a skill that he has. He said he's, you know, looked at uh, James Harden film, Trey Young film, and and you can see it, but he's doing it in his own way. He's not really out of control. And I think that's what kind of sells um, 
sells the founts to the refs, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, he's making basketball plays. And right, rather right. than treating, and so many of these fouls, and this is something I've noted in the past, so many of these fouls he's drawing are not on three-point attempts. They're not necessarily, and he's getting some at the rim, but he's like leading this Lakers team by far this season when it comes to drawing fouls where the contact is is coming in the mid-range. And I think it's because he he has quickness, he's smart, and he understands that like 99% of players use when they're driving, they use from like getting into the paint until you, you know, are getting to the rim as like a runway. It is I'm running in I'm running straight and then I'm going to jump. And defenders if if you are past your man, defenders are trying to catch up, they're trying to recover, they're trying to get back in front and they're running full speed trying to get, you know, into that position. And Reeves does a really good job in those tight areas understanding what the defender wants to do to cut him off on his drive or contest his pull-up shot. And just he has all of those counters and the level of awareness and the the calmness where like the game's almost slowing down for him and he's able to say like, all right, well, either I have the layup or nope, they're going to be able to recover. So let me, you know, put a little move on him, cross him up and hit the, the fade away. Or if I put a move on him and they're still on me, pump fake, draw the foul. And he's gotten to the point where a lot of his mid-range shots are high quality shots just because the defense isn't contesting because they're afraid to, to, to commit a foul. So I am, you know, if, if someone else were doing this against my team, it'd be really frustrating. It, it, it sucks. Like you want to be able to defend legally and, and not be giving up free throws, but it's not in the same sort of like cheap non-basketball like just super clearly just throwing yourself into people way i think there's some of that but a lot of it is still he's trying to get shots up and he's able to convert on a lot of these shots too it's it's not just two shot fouls he's getting a lot of and ones and i think that speaks that itself speaks to the fact that he's making basketball plays and he's keeping himself in situations to hit on these these looks so it's not quite the same thing as some of these other players, but he is definitely up there from a just a, a free throw rate, free throw volume standpoint recently. Um, if you look at the just the fouls drawn, the drive rate, uh, the fouls on drives, the fouls on threes, like he's up there and he's in a real good spot in all of these metrics. And uh, if you look at all three of uh, fouls drawn on drives, fouls drawn on threes, and just general fouls drawn rate overall. And some of these are defensive too because he takes a bunch of charges. Only Alec Burks matches him this season, which is interesting. Uh, not a lot of players are good in all three of those areas. And I didn't realize Alec Burks was that that level of a foul merchant, but um, <laughs> I guess the, the numbers are the numbers. But anyway, he's been great and he's also shooting great and he's making smart decisions. 99th percentile passing creation quality the, the quality of the shots he generates for his teammates are better than 98% of players in the past decade in the NBA. And when you look at like his pick and roll ball handlers, stable scoring efficiency, it's an A grade 94th percentile rating. Spot of shooting 97th percentile A plus grade. Like he's good on ball, off ball, scoring, passing. And this team needs a lot more of him. And if him emerging is a result of some of the injury woes the team has had, and LeBron comes back healthy, and Reeves is cooking, D'Lo's cooking, AD's looking good. Like the team has learned some things from a coaching standpoint. They're integrating the new players. Like this, this is not a team you want to be playing. I agree. Um, and yeah, like 
we mentioned at the top, we did get a, a good, you know, LeBron report, which we can bring up, which uh, hopefully for the last week of the season, we should be seeing some LeBron minutes here. But Tim, uh, Austin Reeves experience, what's encouraging to me about it is um, like the timing, right? But also the willingness to to put more weight and, um, you know, usage behind him and n- not just that they need it. It's that... <sighs> Well, they do need it, but it could be it could portend, like you're saying, to a very deadly attack um, if you kind of encompass all these things with LeBron and then some Austin Reeves with LeBron minutes and Austin Reeves without LeBron minutes have a lot more variety now, I guess, like having that shot creator when LeBron's not there, when you can play Austin and AD, it gives you a, a ability to shorten your rotation, I think, that's very playoff you know ready um that austin is gonna maybe not get 38 minutes but he'll probably still get like 30 minutes to me especially with beasley not really shooting the ball too well right now um but it's you know and austin's still playing great defense he's still drawing fouls um it's yeah it's amazing man he's he's really stepped up and uh in a way that this team is needed and you know, D'Angelo is coming back slow for a little bit from the injury. It came out hot and then had some poor shooting games. He played well against uh, Phoenix. So there's a lot of moving pieces here still, Tim. Um, I could go on and on and all day about Austin Reeves. But let's let's talk a little bit more about other kind of um, implications for the Austin coming off the bench. Um, we've talked in playback about the pairing synergy of not only the guard, but the forward of Vanderbilt spot. And you've brought up before uh, the possibility of kind of bringing Rui into the starting lineup and keeping Vando and Beasley as a unit off the bench. Are you still thinking in those terms? Uh, We did see Vando and and Austin get the start the other day. Um, So what are you thinking about those pairings? Yeah. So the thought process there had a lot to do with, Jared Vanderbilt's limitations offensively and Malik Beasley and the best way to use him offensively. One guy, unless he's actively screening, he's usually just a negative on offense. And I think fans are seeing that more and more. Uh, it wasn't what we saw the first game or two, but over time it's, yeah, okay, we, we see what this guy is. And then Malik Beasley, when he's just standing still as a shooter, like, okay, he's a, he, he can be a good shooter. When he's able to be running off of pin downs and flyer screens and things like that, he suddenly has to engage more than one defender. And that creates uh, that creates opportunities for teammates slipping if, if you run off a pin down and the screener's man shows. Like, you're creating easy scoring opportunities for teammates. You're creating scoring opportunities for yourself. And Malik Beasley, as a Laker has shot 39% on his off-screen threes. For as poor of a 23% spot-up shooting, he's been that guy when it comes to the off-screen stuff when he's able to get out there and be comfortable. Um, And he's been a really solid movement shooter on the season. So I like that usage for him. And when you do that in the starting lineup, it's really nice because that means those defenders can't pay any attention to AD or LeBron or whoever it happens to be, Austin Reeves. Off the bench... I think you use Beasley more as a primary option than a secondary option, depending on who's out there and what you're doing. 
but it, 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 it's nice that it can just kind of like reuse it's scalable. It could be the, you know, what you're trying to do, or it could just be a side weak side action that enhances your primary action. And so that was the idea behind the pairings. Now that we've seen Bomba go down and the limitation with Vanderbilt offensively from a spacing standpoint be, Hey, when, when a non-shooter is out there with AD and this isn't new news, AD gets to the rim less. That's that's not new. That's not a this season thing. That's not a Jared Vanderbilt thing. That's a long-term thing for him with him being a Laker. When he's able to play with a Gasol or a Mo Bamba or he's the five, offensively, he's at his best. And the idea of playing Jer- Vanderbilt with Beasley, you know, tr- somewhat negates that. Um, when you play Vanderbilt with Reeves, you don't quite have that same same element there. Like Reeves isn't an off-screen guy. Reeves this season, and he's been really good at a lot of things. A in transition, A in pick and roll, A plus spot up, A plus roll man, A in isolation, A plus handoffs, D minus in off-screen looks. So that hasn't been his game. Same thing with, with uh, Lonnie Walker uh, earlier in the year. That's why Beasley is a, a key pairing with Vanderbilt because he's that one guy where that makes sense. We've seen more and more like... Vanderbilt out there without Beasley isn't really good for the offense. He's good defensively, but if he's going to play 20 minutes, 25 minutes, I want them to be 25 minutes of him at his best, utilized at his best. Um, so that's why I think getting Rui in there to start could make some sense. Um, and and why the, the pairing duos to me are really important. It's not so much that Reeves and Rui have a great combination. It's that Reeves and Vando doesn't really help the Vando situation offensively. Um, Beasley and Vando, you know, kind of checks the boxes for both players. But now that we're in a situation where Bamba's out, Gabriel is playing, and we've seen the Lakers go to Gabriel plus AD in addition to AD plus Vanderbilt, it somewhat negates the argument and and the purpose behind it. So in that way, I feel less strongly about the duo and I'm okay with playing. If you think Reeves and Vanderbilt are the best two guys out there, you know, get them out there. Uh, but when Beasley's out there, I just want to make sure that doesn't mean that he's not receiving those off-screen looks. So that, I think that's the key element. Is Rui going to be able to set those screens and operate off of them and, you know, slip and, and be smart about those sorts of things? That to me is more of the decision-making factor now. Yeah, we've seen Rui kind of come and go, right, with some of his impact. Um, I think I do think we're on the way to seeing the health demon, the help defense demon. I think he can be. There's some flashes there, which really intrigued me um, with his athleticism and, and length and, and all that. But and the spot up shooting has looked pretty good. But you know, he's he's a, a good person to come off the bench sometimes if you need a little bit of shot creation. Um, again, I think. I think we need to start thinking, uh, well, obviously we need to win, right, as much as possible in these last nine games. But I'm trying to kind of start to look ahead at what that playoff, you know, pared down rotation could look like because I do think there are some tricky um, nuances that, you know, you can you can fall into some traps, I still think, even though that the roster is much more talented uh, than before. There's kind of uh, some pairings that, that I haven't really loved and – you know, Beasley has looked really bad on defense uh, for the most part. And having that in the starting lineup has made their unit pretty bad. And, you know, D'Lo is not amazing, but he communicates and tries a little bit more, I think, than Beasley. Beasley, dude, it's Olay defense. It's uh, 
space cadet defense. It's not, you know, business decision defense. All of those things, I think, Mm -hmm. you can use to describe Malik Beasley's defense. But when he's making his shots, it's it's a weapon that you can justify having out there. And, you know, for whatever Laker curse, God knows reason, um, his shooting is more on the go side of come and go right now. So I would prefer to see the Austin minutes. I, I still think, mm, man, I wouldn't mind seeing Rui in the starting lineup, Tim. I think you've definitely convinced me. Um, and it's not that Vanderbilt has lost it or anything like that. I think you need to start thinking about the pieces a little bit differently here. Um, but LeBron's coming back, right? So what does that mean for this, right? I mean, I guess you you probably just throw him in for Troy, but then what does that bench unit look like, um, do you think, Tim, with Austin now in the starting unit? And I, I know I'm kind of looking ahead, but I, I'm trying to, you know what I mean? Like I'm trying to get more of a playoff mode here with uh, cutting things out that might be a little fat. Yeah. And so for the playoffs as well, are we assuming Bamba's back and available? I hope so. Let's say on a limited role, like less than normal. So I'm just like plotting out what this could look like. So you're going to start D'Lo, let's say Reeves in this situation, LeBron, AD, and then do you want to go Vanderbilt or would you rather go Rui there? I mean, I probably... (laughs) Probably still go Vanderbilt for defense um, to try and, yeah, have some switchability. What do you think? I, I, this is all like what, you know, perfect world. Like what's the best, most deadly thing we can put together? Yeah. I, so I think, wow. So if you've got D'Lo, LeBron, and AD in a lineup together, you've got solid pick and roll game. Reeves is out there and Reeves can be an off-ball guy. He can be an on-ball guy. I want someone that's just kind of be, I don't, I, I just want someone that can just be there and convert on what they're given. You don't need someone really adding an element with how much firepower you have in that group. And I guess if we think defensively. And, yeah. Reeves and Vanderbilt are like guard point of attack and wing point of attack. Yeah. You know, depending on really what kind of player. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could even see a world where, Brown makes sense over Vando in that starting mm-hmm. group. Potentially. Potentially. Because mm-hmm. um, he gives you the solid defense and he's that 3 and D kind of guy. And, and that's easy to plug into a lineup that has D'Lo, LeBron, AD, and Reeves. But I, I can see this going a bunch of different ways. I'm excited to, to get these guys back and, and see what it looks like together. And I would hope that at the point where the team is in the playoffs – you're cutting down rotation minutes a bit and you're you're playing the best players. You're leaning on your best players. And that might mean a nine man, an eight man rotation, a seven and a half man rotation. And if you were to pick the eight guys you trust on this team, I feel like I trust D'Lo, LeBron, AD. And then I think Reeves would be the fourth Vanderbilt five. And then like, Brown, I think I would have Troy Brown. Yeah, I I I feel like I trust what he brings. Oh, it's tough. Maybe some Mobamba minutes, just so you have a five out there. Oh, you know, Ham trusts Schroeder. Schroeder is going to be out there. Yeah, Schroeder will be out there. So if you go, if you cut, I I think Rui would be more on the outs 
especially in a situation where LeBron's back. Kind of what I'm getting to. And that's, I think it's right, but I think it also doesn't have to be. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily need to be. Yeah. And I think early in the playoff, like, and maybe this team operates a bit differently from some others, knowing that uh, they're, you know, not projected to make the finals or anything. Like, they need to shorten the rotation as appropriate as soon as possible. Yeah, it's not like screw around in the in the first round or something like that. But I could see like D'Lo, Reeves, LeBron, Vanderbilt, AD, Schroeder, Brown, some Bamba minutes as a backup five, Rui not being in the playoff rotation, and Beasley being someone that like unless he defends or unless he's hitting his threes, he's just he's just not out there. Because when Beasley's not hitting his threes, he's a he's a bad basketball player. It's not that he's an average basketball player. No he's question. a bad basketball player. Yeah. He's not making smart decisions. He's not defending at all on ball or off ball. He is not a guy that's pressuring or finishing at the rim. It, like he doesn't – he does not add value. And he has gravity. When you run him off of off ball screens, he's still drawing players. And he's been hitting those shots. But – Anything other than like transition or off-screen looks, he's been really struggling. So I think, you know, take that off-screen element, throw it out. He's not a good basketball player. And I can see him being on the outs in a playoff rotation if they are really shortening things, if they don't trust his shooting. Because if Reeves is shooting well, if Brown is shooting well, remember Brown wasn't shooting well earlier in the year. D'Lo is suddenly a much, you know, improved three-point shooter compared to what the Lakers have had at point guard for much of the year. Like, you don't necessarily – the premium doesn't need to be on that off-screen shooting anymore because you've got guys that can knock threes down. Bamba can hit some threes. Rui can hit some threes. You know, Schroeder's not a very good three-point shooter. AD's not too good as three-point shooter. Vanderbilt's not a three-point shooter. If Gabriel's in this rotation, he's not. But I, I can see Beasley being on the way out. I think Gabriel's an interesting conversation too, but I think Gabriel's played well. Like he's been mm-hmm. he is an emergency like backup big. And he's he's good in that role. As a like 20 minutes a game guy, I he I think he's probably in over his head in a lot of matchups. It's but super he, matchup dependent. Right. Mm-hmm. Super matchup dependent. Yep. He, he plays with such energy. He gets you extra possessions. The stuff he's good at is very loud and very energizing. But then there, you know, he certainly has his limitations. And we've seen a lot of plays where, I, at least for me, it seemed like this. I'd want to go track, let's take a look at my numbers. It seems like more recently we've seen way more spot-up attempts for Gabriel and Vanderbilt as other teams have really sags off of the non-shooters to take away like rolls and drives. Yeah, definitely. I think Bamba is a, is a super important piece that, uh, you know, we're going to have to still wait. I haven't heard anything about him yet. So I'm going to assume he's not going to be back anytime soon. So, um, but having that extra size in the uh, second unit and just having a rim protector, it's really, you know, against certain units, um, you know, Playing their they're big with the backups or you know units have a decent rebounding front line. Um, Lakers have been really really struggling there. So let's take a quick break, Tim. Uh, when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about uh, you know let's do a scheme check in uh, from you and let's see where we're at with the standings and games left and other teams and all that messiness. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, Tim, now we're back. Wanted to do a quick uh, scheme check in with you, uh, seeing you know a lot more Austin Reeves, you know, initiation there. But what are they doing, or you know, it's new, or is there anything kind of developed over the last few games? It's been a lot of the same concepts and the same actions, I guess I'd say. The team has found occasionally new ways to get to a play they like to get to, but starting it slightly different. Uh, we've seen a lot of, if you think back to like the, the, the plays where they'd start with like Austin Reeves stepping from the, the strong side corner to go set a back screen for AD who would then either, you know, go set up in a post-up or he would go set that wedge ball screen. They've, uh, from that same look recently incorporated a double drag screen from, from, you know, basically the same setup and it's caught some teams off guard. It's good to be able to do more than just two things out of that initial setup. So like little, little developments like that are just kind of some fine tuning, but we have not seen the team suddenly be like, you know what, we need to start running elevator screens or like, we're going to be, uh, just like a high volume, yeah, I don't know, logo ball screen team or something. Like they're they know what they are and they're leaning on those actions. They're finding some new ways to get to them, but for the most part, it's just bread and butter stuff. And Reeves has been a really good decision maker. And it how the Lakers scoring possessions get distributed has a lot to do with how teams defend them. And there are certain plays the Lakers will run that 
get AD involved against some defenses, and then against other defenses, they don't get him involved. And I think the challenge for the team has been that in-game adjustments battle of moving to the the sets that aren't resulting in Jared Vanderbilt spot-ups and are instead, you know, like we saw in that last game, the Lakers a number of times started AD from the dunker spot, and then they set a a screen for him, usually like their, their RAM action ball screen where you screen for the screener before he gets to set the screen. Uh, confusing sentence to say. But instead of AD receiving that screen and then running up to the top of the key to set a ball screen, he would just kind of curl around it and go set up a, a, in a post up and he'd duck in right in the middle of the paint. And that has been able to be something where it's like, okay, well, you're not going to help that far off of these guys standing in the corner to go help on him. And it's just the defense doesn't have time to send the help or they can't go under the screen or they can't sag off. So they've found some workarounds. We, uh, I was just pulling up Jared Vanderbilt's data. His first seven games as a Laker, he had seven spot-up scoring possessions where he caught on the perimeter and he took a shot. He turned the ball over. He created a free throw trip for himself, either on catch and shoots or, or with drives. The next eight games... He had 20. Uh, so it went from one a game to more than to like two and a half a game. That's that's quite a jump. And then in his past two games, we have seen him have zero two games in a row. And he's been very much just a cut and a putback guy. He, two of his first three games as a Laker, he had zero spot up possessions. But other than that, every other game he's been a spot up guy for a number of plays. So we saw a stretch recently where teams were turning him into a guy we don't want him to be. But these past couple games, I think they've done a good job altering the playbook, altering his usage, and it's it's helped open things up a bit. So similar actions, they're finding some of those tweaks. They're refining things a bit. Uh, it's not all that new or different, but I, I think the team is, they know who they are, they know what they want to do, and it's just about execution and play calling to make the most of it. All right, Tim, once again, reminding everybody, we're doing this live on playback, so we're going to answer a question here from chat. I think this is a good question uh, from Reezy. Is D'Lo, Austin, Braun too much playmaking for the starting lineup? I'm sure Braun would run the bench lineups, but they could get thin. It's a great question. I think this is kind of what I brought up at the beginning. This is what is so incredible about Austin, I think, is that he's a flex there, right? So in that lineup... He can be a playmaker, but I think his primary like energy bar, for lack of a better term, Tim, is the defense, right? Having that point of attack defense to complement D'Angelo Russell while providing some spot spot up shooting. Um, would they get too thin? I don't think so because in the playoffs you uh, shorten your rotation, and to have three people who can play and make like that, you can stagger them. To I don't know what you think, Tim, in a way that. Two of those guys are almost always on the court, you know what I mean? Or, you know, at the very least one of them. Um, but in in playoff time, once you shorten those lineups, I think it's, you know, reasonable, especially with AD, I think, as a playmaker mixed in there. Um, I think that I think they'll be okay playmaking-wise now. Yeah, I, I certainly don't see it as a problem to have that much high IQ passing capabilities altogether. The only issue becomes what does the bench lineup then look like? And to your point, Tom, I think just as long as you're smart rotationally, that's something you manage through. And we saw like Reeves' uh, his, his rotation pattern. This last game, he started 
and then he took a couple minutes off before any of the other starters, and then he was brought back in to run the bench unit, and then he took a couple minutes off, and then he came back in with the starting group. So, like, just little things like that. You don't have to run hockey lineups, basically. Like, as long as you're not running hockey lineups and throwing out an all-bench unit, which if you're running, like, an eight-man rotation, you can't do anyway, it's not a problem. So I think having three really strong playmakers that you trust out of, like, an eight-man rotation is, is a pretty good spot to be in. And you can, from my perspective and from what I've seen teams do, I would not be concerned about the rotation uh, in the bench unit's playmaking as long as, you know, it's it's doable. They just have to do it right. That's a good question, though. No, it's a great question, though, but that's what's so kind of valuable is that Austin utility piece um, is he's been able to step up when we need him to facilitate and get shots and get to the line and all that, but when he's back in, I guess, the right position, you know, in terms of the pecking order, he's going to hopefully push his opportunities when they do come. But, you know, he's going to be, you know, focusing a lot more on defense and uh, and being that that glue piece of what that those lineups mm-hmm. need. So, all right, Tim, um, wanted to bring up a little bit here, uh, AD. We haven't talked about him a lot, what he's looked like. Um, Kind of weird energy, but he has it's had some dominant moments still. Um, playing inconsistent, not getting as many shots, and you kind of seeing him defer slightly to to Austin. But uh, I don't know what you think of how AD's been. Um, he was pretty good against Phoenix there, so not that they really had a lot to go against him. But AD's getting his touchback. Uh, the midi's been looking good. Yeah, no, I, I think so from a – when we're evaluating – how he's playing, I think it's really tricky based on like his usage, how involved he is, how aggressive he looks is so dependent on how defenses are playing him. When we think about a lot of his involvement is as a role man and as a cutter, he's not the central hub of the offense where you just give him the ball in the perimeter and just run a bunch of guys around and and he, you know, finds a shooter or he'll go dribble into a post-up. That's not the offense. That has not been the offense. It, it won't be the offense. He's not a low post, you know, and then run your stack in and then he goes to work. He'll do that sometimes, but he has a lot of his scoring come from being a really effective role man, being an elite lob threat and being a short role playmaker and all of those things that were part of, were a big part of who he was when he was putting up, you know, those 40, 50, 30 point games earlier in the season when people were talking about him like he was Wilt Chamberlain. A lot of that was role man stuff. It was not, and you can go look at the, like I looked at the synergy numbers. It wasn't like he scored, you know, 25 points in ISOs or post-ups. He had a lot of games where he's put up like 35 points and like, Eight of them were in 1v1 situations. And then the rest was like transition, rolling, and cutting and and, and putbacks. So when your shot diet looks like that, there will naturally be more inconsistency in your production because those are things that defenses can can scheme away. And and, And when the defense schemes those things away, they make themselves vulnerable elsewhere. And as long as you're able to take advantage of that, it's not a problem. Like... We saw, I mean, great example, anyone watching March Madness, when you saw Purdue play uh, FDU, they were like triple teaming Zach Eady, the the seven foot five or seven foot four guy for Purdue. 
there were dudes wide open. They just couldn't hit a damn thing. They shot like, you know, 18% on threes or whatever it was. Like that basketball is a game of draw help, beat help. And AD, as a post guy, he draws help. And then when the team rolls their help beaters, they beat it. Or, Or when they do that enough, then the help doesn't come and then he's just able to cook. Or when he's a role man, he's drawing help. He has role gravity. He's drawing a tag and that opens up other players. And then it's just a matter of, can we beat that? It's not that AD, like AD's value doesn't necessarily go down when he's not getting shots up because the reason he's not getting shots up is because he's drawing help. And, you know, not all double teams come when you're, when you have the ball in your hands. And I think as long as the the team's able to take advantage of that, it's not a problem. And he can have, you know, quiet games, but have a great impact and open up great looks for his teammates. And we saw a bit of that last night in in the most recent game where in the first half, he had post looks where he was getting double teamed and it was coming from the strong side aggressively, but then the defense was also bumping up man from the weak side over to the strong side. So the normal outlet pass is taken away. It is an aggressive trap and the kind of opening was a skip pass, but nobody was moving around. So it's easy to recover to. So it made him look bad because the team wasn't ready for it. We saw perimeter isolations where he'd catch and he'd be at like the free throw line and he'd have his man in front of him. And then the Lakers were in like five out and he would have, it looked like Giannis in the playoffs a couple of years ago where he had a defender at each elbow plus his man. So there was a wall in front of him and I don't know what people expect him to do. Like he settled for jumpers. What else was he going to do? Um, to his, and, and when you do that as a defense, you make yourself vulnerable. And it's just a matter of whether or not the Lakers take advantage of that where it, it it works or not. So that was what was happening early. And and we've seen similar things happen in recent games. Then later in the game, we saw the team change how they were using him. They're running him off of pin downs and they were working. Okay. Then the defense went under the pin downs. They didn't do anything anymore. So they started flowing those into inverted ball screens, which created scoring opportunities. Um, then there were times where they would try to have him run off of those ram ball screens where he starts from the dunker spot, receives a screen, runs up towards the top of the key, and then, you know, run ball screens. And they'd, you know, sag into the paint and take away his rolls. What they would do then instead was from that same look, just, you know, have him duck in, run off that screen, and then stop. Don't run all the way up to the three-point line. And that created a post-up look in the middle of the floor where if help is coming, somebody's open and it's kind of easy to see. And they also have to cover a lot of ground to get to him. Um, when the Lakers telegraph what's about to happen, it's easier for the defense to identify what's about to happen and then start rotating early. When they run plays like that play I'm describing, and it starts similar to a lot of other plays where he's just going up to, you know, 80s running a set of ball screen, you can't quite be as proactive as a defense. So just little play calling things like that were just so much better later in the game. And we saw AD go on like his own personal, like he scored like 13 or 14 points or something like that really quickly at one point. Um, so I, I don't know. I see game after game examples of where how the team is operating schematically directly influences how much volume AD gets, but it doesn't necessarily mean that when the volume's low, that his impact is low. And that's just on the offensive end. Defensively, he's always impactful. I. And I don't bring it up because, you know, a lot of people are going to talk about the Dallas game and, you know, kind of the calamity that that was uh, and how he's been bad. I, I don't think that's true. I, I think you broke it down perfectly, right? Um, AD's kind of a superstar that can kind of, 
you know, I don't know what the, the analogy would be, but he lives off of the other stuff. Like he's not the garbage man, but he he does clean up so much and even just getting his own rebounds, right? And athletically getting to the, the to the line and getting fouled. And um, you know, he's his free throws haven't been as good. So that's, you know, a little worrying on the the jump shooting in general. But I think physically he looks okay. Um, it's just kind of a you know ebb and flow with with a defense i see sometimes he's like maybe it's scheme he's sagging super deep and not really you know um you know coming up to the level of the ball or even trying to make them make a decision and there's so much space in the middle and but then he looks you know absolutely dominant on other possessions and and the ad of old um so i don't know i think he's still kind of playing hurt and i think he's he's done fine i i didn't want to shit on him i didn't want to praise him for this segment i just kind of wanted to to see where you're take your temperature on that tim um but i do think lebron coming back as all things do you know makes your lineups better makes more space and and uh, i'm gonna move around questions here in the chat but we'll get to all of them um is like a similar thing with lebron and beasley tim lebron comes back you know, those help defenders are going to sag a little bit deeper into the paint to help and, you know, off the pick and roll or any drive transition. That's going to open more space for guys like Beasley. And yeah, it's not, I don't think it's a coincidence that Beasley's gotten tougher looks over the last few weeks with LeBron out. Uh, do you think, you know, once LeBron comes back that we could uh, see Beasley start to improve in the shooting and make more of an impact? I do. I do. Because with LeBron back, we will see just higher quality spot up looks for Beasley. And we, in his off screen game, will see fewer plays where there are, there is an extra defender over there trying to stop him. He's going to have some of those two V one opportunities with exit screens or pin downs or flare screens or whatever it happens to be because LeBron James has, you know, 10 eyes on him defensively. And that's going to be the balance you know, it, it'll, it'll be, you know, a seesaw back and forth between, all right, they're loading up on LeBron. That means Beasley's wide open and he's going to, you know, kill you. And then, all right, well, we have to respect Beasley. And that means that LeBron gets to actually go one V one or a LeBron AD pick and roll is truly two V two. They're going to help each other out. And that's where just having talent on the floor and using them in ways that like engage more than one defender can really quickly handicap a defense in terms of how it's able to be creative and send extra help. You can't run your creative help defenses when there's a staggered screen on the weak side and Malik Beasley's running off of it full speed. You need three defenders on that. And that means that your 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 handoff on the strong side is a 2v2 action. And that means that AD is going to get more opportunities. So like Beasley not hitting his shots hurts AD because they don't pay as much attention to him. LeBron in the game is going to get Beasley better looks. So he's going to hit more of his shots, which is going to help LeBron. It's going to help AD. Like there's synergy among all of them. And the scalability of these, uh, these pieces is, is so cool to me. We talked about Reese earlier. We talked about Beasley being able to be the primary or the secondary or a tertiary option. LeBron kind of slots everybody down a peg. And now it's like, oh damn, we've got some real good secondary options. We've got some real good tertiary options. And the pieces work at the same time. You could play them together. Um, AD for as much as he is a finisher more than a creator with a lot of his usage that fits with it, that fits with LeBron when LeBron's playing and he's healthy. 
And so it's not like, oh, well, LeBron's back. AD needs to play differently now. No, AD can keep doing what he's doing. And it's just going to be, he's going to get better looks and he's going to create better looks for LeBron. So I just see this being a very, you know, tons of synergy, lots of duos where you can do a lot of fun, creative actions and they help set each other up. So just in general, I think we're, we're about to see a better Malik Beasley, a better Anthony Davis. We'll see LeBron looking good, playing with, you know, D'Lo's out there with him. He hasn't played all that much with D'Lo. Um, all of these pieces are going to help each other out. And here we got another question about Austin Reeves and LeBron from Dez. In y'all's opinion, would LeBron prefer to be used as a screener, cutter, uh, or an off-ball shooter off actions when, with Austin when he gets back? I, Tim, I don't know about you, but I can see a lot of LeBron as a screener, force them to switch, and LeBron's like, give me that ball, baby. Or, look, if they don't want to switch that, they just want to kind of like hedge. Le- uh, Austin's going to dribble that out, put a guy in jail, snake, He's going to have a little midi or a lane to the basket. And he's been getting fouled on almost every one. And gosh, he's got such a soft touch. Like so many rolls off the rim in um, from all, you know, points eight feet in from Austin. But uh, what do you think, Tim? Because I, I th- can see a lot of LeBron being just used as a screener with Austin. Yeah, I, I think LeBron is a screener for Reeves. LeBron is a screener for D'Lo. Uh, either of those are, are going to create some good opportunities he's got two passing ball handlers in those situations that'll set him up well. I know Beasley is a screener for LeBron makes a lot of sense. Or Reeves is a screener for LeBron. Like LeBron either as a screener for one of those guards or uh, being the one receiving an inverted ball screen, either of those situations I think works well in terms of what he'd prefer. I would imagine he'd probably prefer to be I don't know. I don't think he's going to want to like spot up a bunch. I don't think he's going to be, you know, like in the trenches setting a bunch of screens and things like that. But I would imagine not as much off screen shooting for him, but either on ball receiving a screen or on ball setting a screen first, you know, in the right duos will create a lot of advantageous situations where LeBron's ability as a scorer and a passer are fully on display. Yeah, I can just see a lot of sets where Austin, uh, LeBron, uh, sorry, Austin brings the ball up, immediately gets a screen to LeBron to get a switch and just passes it right to him and goes spaces in the corner or something. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot you could do. It's it's just really nice to have both guards that can screen and are smart playmakers when they catch in the short roll. And same thing with a, a big man that can do that. So it, it just it gives you a ton of options. It really just depends who you're playing and, and what defense they're in. If they're switching, yeah, run some Reeves bronze stuff. And give Reeves a big man he can, you know, screw around with and and draw some fouls on and give LeBron somebody he can post up. Or if they are showing and recovering when guards are setting screens, Beasley ghost screens or Reeves short rolls or D'Lo short rolls. All of those are great with LeBron as the passer. If they're in drop, then I'd rather have D'Lo be the guy on ball with LeBron screening than Reeves because I trust D'Lo's pull-up three-point shooting a bit more. Um there's so much you can do and it's just about like, what is the defense in? Okay. They're doing this. That means that we need to activate this chunk of the playbook. And we've seen, I can say with full confidence, the Lakers don't need to add a single more, a single new play to their playbook. And they have everything they need to have plenty of options against every type of defense. It'll just be about their recognition of what the defense is in. So they get the right people in the right actions at high volume and take most, you know, take the most advantage of it but 
for remember remember during the the Lakers title run, we talked so much about like the versatility the team had defensively in terms of how mm-hmm. they could you guys use guys. This year's team has so much offensive versatility with how they can deploy players, the size of their roles, the types of roles they can have. And, you know, as long as the coaching is on its A game, I would imagine that this team can really pick apart coverages. And we might see stretches where, like, LeBron is just every play, he is a pick and roll ball handler and we're either getting AD screening or Beasley growth screening or D'Lo or Reeves short rolling and he's just going to pick you apart or maybe vice versa where LeBron's screening a lot for for one of these guys and, and picking you apart so I, I don't know I see a like they have every every pitch they need to use it'll just be about being healthy and then using the right pitches at the right times yeah no, I totally agree I think that stuff is is it's crazy to think about us considering where we started the season, but it's only been, you know, 15, 20 games or so, whatever it's been with the new guys. And you've really seen some, some positive growth in chemistry between some of them. And I could, you know, you'll just see it more. hopefully once LeBron comes back, uh, let's take a last little question real quick. Uh, I think LeBron's shooting will be better when he's back. I don't know. Hopefully he was definitely in a rut there, uh, before his injury. What do you think, Tim? He was in a rut. Uh, his three-point shooting was at least, like, it had picked up a little bit there towards the end. His, like, 10-game rolling average was 37% on threes, and it had been that way for a couple games after taking a, a, a pretty deep dive. Um, his shooting at the rim over the past 10 games was a good bit down from what his norm is. That kind of stuff fluctuates, but I would expect that if we're just trying to anticipate what those results will look like, I would bet on them being good because he's had plenty of rest. He should be fully healthy. Well, I would hope he's fully healthy. Um, and though he could, I mean, they may certainly rush him back a bit to get him out there. So maybe that's not the case, but we're going to see him with this full assortment of weapons in a way that the, by now the, the, the chemistry is there with all these other guys the playbook is there. LeBron's a smart player. He's been able to watch and see how these guys like to be set up. And he's had conversations with them and they know him. So I would imagine when he is playing, it is a more well-rounded, like refined approach. And the the caliber of players around him will be higher than what he played with for much of the season. And from a, from a spacing standpoint and from a, you know, what we can do with different action standpoints. So I would, I would think he's going to shoot well, just because he's probably going to get higher quality shots and they're going to be running higher quality plays because they've cut out a lot of the fat over the course of the season. All right, Tim, I just wanted to wrap this up here with uh, just a very brief, we don't have to, I know we've talked a lot of schedule and standing stuff lately because we've been, you know, that's what mode we've been in. But as of right now, today, uh, Thursday, Lakers are, you know, sole owner of the tenth spot with thirty-seven losses. Also, with thirty-seven losses, the Timberwolves, the Mavericks, uh, the Jazz, the Pelicans. So, there's those teams, and then the Thunder have thirty-six, uh, but they've played fewer games. And they play it back to back tonight and tomorrow. Uh, we're playing them tomorrow night. So, I don't know, Tim. Uh, I just wanted to check in and see how you feel about these last nine. Okay, here you go. Home for Thunder. You got a home for Bulls, away for Bulls, away for Wolves, away for Rockets, away for Jazz, away for Clippers. Those two are our last back-to-back. And then we close out the year, home for Suns, home for Jazz. 
Um, Tim, all of those teams, except for the Rockets, are in the playoff hunt in some way, shape, or form. How are you feeling? Um, we got word LeBron should be back for the last week or so, so I'm guessing the, the Jazz, Clippers, Suns, Jazz, four games there. Still got about five games left without him, I would guess. How are you feeling? And uh, anything stand out to you about – I mean, Lakers, it's not the easiest schedule left. and These are all teams that – it's not just losing. It's losing to somebody who will gain from you losing and them getting a win, that direct correlation, right? Like this is uh, – they could still – they could still miss. Yeah, it's – and vice versa, I guess on the other hand. Right. It's a kind of control your own destiny sort of schedule where it's not like you're playing, you know, Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, and it's like, all right, these are tough teams. But if you and if you beat them, you know, you still have to be rooting for Minnesota to lose or the Clippers to lose or OKC to lose. No, you, you're going to go play the Clippers. You're going to go play OKC. You're going to play the Jazz. So those direct head-to-head results can can really change the look of things on a day-to-day basis. I feel. Good. I know I'm t- I tend to be more optimistic, maybe. Um, but I think the team is set up well. They've got the right pieces. LeBron will be coming back. I think by the time they play Phoenix, Phoenix's seat will be locked up, so they may not care as much. Um, I like the the Lakers' odds against some of these other teams. I think they've been coached better recently, and I think you know they, they've they're figuring things out. There have been ruts here or there, but. All things considered, I think the Lakers are in a good spot. And if we look at our basketball index projections, the Lakers are projected as the nine seed with about 41 wins. But that's so close to so many other teams still. Like we've got – so Denver, Memphis, Sacramento at the top. Phoenix with 44 wins basically. Then Golden State at 43. Clippers at about 43. Minnesota at about 42. Dallas at 41. Lakers at about 41. OKC at about 40. And then Pelicans at Pelicans and Jazz at about 39. So like there's a big stretch of teams there that are only a game or two from each other. So health, some shooting luck, uh, game planning, rotations, all these things matter. But if we're going to get high Reeves minute volume, we're going to see the rotation shorten maybe a little bit. We're going to see LeBron back. I think all of those factors line up well for the team to make a run here. All right. I'm glad you're optimistic. I mean, I'm optimistic. We're talking playoff rotations and at least for, you know, a couple of key playing games, you know, because that's you got to get what uh, two wins. There's the nine seed. So it's not just that easy. You're still going to have to play teams again here um, in this weird kind of, you know, round robin format. So Lakers going to have to keep it together, keep putting uh, some momentum and, you know, hopefully they get some luck. Um, you got. I think this is lucky, but Paul George missing the rest of the regular season games that could bring the Clippers slightly lower than they might have gone uh, with him. So you never know. This is where, you know, weird stuff happens. This is where stuff can fall apart and the Lakers aren't the only team that uh, it could it could happen for. So sometimes yeah, yeah root for the downfall of your enemies instead of your own success. <laughs> really quick. uh I can run through just, I guess, the the percentage breakdown of how the season could end for the Lakers. If you think yeah, please. That would be interesting. So we have the Lakers with a tw- about 12.5% chance of being a top six seed. So they'd avoid a, the play-in about you know, uh, 12% of the time. 
there that was like four percent like a week ago right it was pretty low it was low it's gone up a bit you know there have been i mean not not necessarily the past game or two but there have been a lot of favorable outcomes for la and so that number has gone up there is a uh, let's see here about a 25 percent chance that they're in the seven eight game so if if they were in that game they would have to win either that and they're in the playoffs and be the seventh seed or if they lose they have a second chance to beat the winner of the nine ten game so they they have to win one out of two games that's not a bad spot to be in and then there is if they're going to be the let's see nine or ten seed they have a 37 percent chance so the, the highest chance there and then there's about a 30 uh, let's see here, a 35% chance they just missed the playoffs altogether. So getting that 7-8 seed, it's not out of the question. About a 1 in 4 chance, that'd be a pretty good outcome. That 12.5% chance of avoiding the play-in, that's unlikely, but would be probably, the, you know, that's the high-end outcome here, of course. But there's still a very real chance that they're in that 9-10 uh, game or a very real chance, about the same chance, that they just miss the play-in altogether. So all things together, there is a 75% chance they're a top 10 seed. And with all of these odds playing in with each other, there's about a 41% chance that they make it to the first round after being a top six seed or winning, you know, one out of two games as a seven or eight seed or winning, you know, two out of two games as that nine or 10 seed. So about a 50-50 shot of making it to the playoffs isn't where you'd like to be as the Lakers, but... If you could just get there, if you don't feel all that bad, just got to get there. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yep. This team is more dangerous than I think we've talked about. Uh, my perspective of this team is that it's more dangerous making it to the playoffs and pulling up, pu pulling off some upsets than they've been the past couple of years. I feel so much more confident in their Absolutely. ability, given the roster, given, you know, the, the, the coaching has opportunity to get better. Uh, if, if we could have had Frank Vogel with like a Chris Gent offensive coordinator, we would have been cooking, I think. Um, but you know, it is what it is there. The coaching is what the coaching is, but I think the roster is better. And as long as you can keep those stars healthy and give yourself that chance, there isn't a like dominant top team here in the West that doesn't have any vulnerabilities. Each of these teams have holes. And if the Lakers, you know, are clicking, they, they can pull off more than one upset in the playoffs. Thanks, Danny Ainge. Appreciate you. <laughs> All right, let's leave it there for now, Tim. Um, as always, if you want to get into our Discord, screenshot a five-star review on your podcast on podcast player of choice and send it to one of us, and we'll get you that link to the Discord. And uh, again, follow us on Playback. We're watching these games live, Tim. Are we doing tomorrow night? Yeah, we can do tomorrow night. Well, uh, I mean, there's, there's March Madness. Um <laughs> Well, well, yeah. So Lakers. I should be. Oh, right. The Lakers. Lakers play the Thunder. That's a big game. Yeah, we can do that one. I might be on even a little bit early to watch some of the the college games. But yeah, by that time, yeah, it'll be like Xavier, Texas will be on Princeton, Creighton. Yeah, we'll 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 do the Lakers game. Let's do it. And yeah, follow us on playback.tv slash Lakers Watch Party. We watch the game together and chat. It's been a lot of fun, Tim. I mean, frustrating, but you know. We can't make the games good, as we say, but we can have a good time together. That's right. We can't make them good, but we will make them better. Um, 
And when the games are, you know, when the Lakers win, it's a bunch of fun. And when they lose, it's still a pretty fun time. So check that out. If you're not in the Discord already, check out the Discord. Uh, you can get to that with a link in my bio. Or if you DM Tom, me, or, or the podcast account, five-star review of the pod. Want to shout out some of our friends of the podcast, TJ Timotaji, Zach Harris, QDaddio, iPod Shuffle, Romario, Chamber, Miguel, T. Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdulrahman, Keneal Mason, Eric, and, and Doppel for living the high life with us in the owner's box, as well as to our courtside and lower bowl crews. Uh, get in on that action. Tinyurl.com slash support Lakers X pod or Lakers X pod, whichever you prefer. All right. Until next time. Talk to y'all later. <laughs>